Coming up on Verse Course First, <laughs> we dissect an album with one of the most recognizable starting tracks ever that I just wanted to play so bad. And unfortunately, Epic Records owns it, which means that I will never get to play it. So instead of playing the intro song to this album, Blind, Sven and I wrote a completely different song to play. It's titled Death for no specific reason. And we're going to play that for our intro. Dissecting Korn's debut album. That's coming up next. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I hope you enjoyed that song that has nothing to do with any other song, just one that came right off the tome of me, David Liston, and Sven Shoots and Ladders Knutson. Sven, how are you this evening? <laughs> Fantastic after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked for tonight because, um, well, I'll tell you why in a little bit. <laughs> You'll tell us why after we introduce the third person. I'll edit that to sound pretty. Um, <laughs> we are not alone. We have the one, the only, for the third time on the podcast, third. Evil Jimmy. Evil, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this. He's a veteran now. He's so calm. He's got the sleeveless tank on. Yeah. I do. It's pink. <laughs> It has Darth Vader on it, and it says, who's your daddy? Nice. You can't really top that. <laughs> Welcome to episode 19. We are going to do the first volume of David and Sven's 10 out of 10s. And I will explain very quickly. When we first started this, we started this with giving each other an album that one of us loves to have the other review. We email each other three options. Hey, here's your three options for your album this week. But there are certain albums where when you give it to the other person, they say, I love that album. We can't do that album. I already know it so well. So the question was, well, what do we do with those albums? Because the ones that both of us love, we can't just throw them out. Yeah. They might not necessarily be 10 out of 10s, but this was the first one that really stood out to me. I think Sven tried to give it to me and I said, I know this back and forth. I can't do this. And we had to have evil for what I think are very obvious reasons, because this is, I'm not going to say best, but one of the most infamous metal albums of, of the last 50 years, right? Yeah, infamous. That's, that's, a good... a, that's an interesting word. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it could be called that. Yeah. I'll go over to Sven first. Sven, when you, when you initially wanted to give this to me, is this a favorite album of yours? Is this really, or is it, more, was it more of a conversation piece or do you just love this album? I absolutely love this album. It's my favorite album uh, of theirs. And I remember being like, I don't know how old I was, 14, see 93, 10, <laughs> I was 10, 11 when it came out. I didn't actually discover the album until maybe a few years later when I was like a junior high. And I remember walking to school with headphones on and my little discman and seriously, almost every morning it was this disc walking to school. Wow. There, there's so many memories and so many things tied to it. And the funny thing is that the first time I ever heard Korn, I hated the band. I hated the band. I didn't get it. Someone played me Life is Peachy and I didn't get it at all. I was like, this is a bunch of out of tune guitars. What the F is this that I'm <laughs> listening to? The other thing that we need to talk about before we get into this is the 
most important part of the night, what are we drinking tonight? Yes. Uh, I am going to go to Sven first. Sven, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I had a beer that I was saving in case we ever did like a Nirvana episode, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I am drinking uh, a... I strongly object to what you just said. You, you do? Well, maybe I should put this back in the freaking cooler then. We are, we're get, there's going to be at least, I'd say, seven nirvana episodes (laughs) wow (laughs) well um i'm drinking fort george suicide squeeze Ooh, okay from uh yeah fort george it's good it's an ipa 7.2 alcohol that's all right yeah evil are you drinking a cocktail tonight i am drinking a cocktail so i've decided that when you and i are both drinking a cocktail in the evening. We're going to play a little game where we try to guess what the other person's drinking. Ooh. Um, so okay. show me your cocktail, and I want to see if I can guess what it is. Oh, I'll show you my cocktail. Is that like... Is the light... Is that like chartreuse? Is that like... For, a, the, for the listeners uh, who can't see, it's in a coupe. It is light purplish. Yeah. And it has cherry in it. You know, honestly, what I would have guessed is what you already drank, and it's more green would be the last word. But I, Ooh, yeah. you, you have me. I threw a curveball at. <laughs> what type of alcohol is in it? It's also gin, which was in the last word as well. I'm gonna gin kick. It's kind of a good summer refreshing. Is it a you know, spirit? Uh, for... What's the verdant one? No, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what it is. What is it? It's an aviation. So is, is that is. was is that a cocktail so, designed specifically by aviation gin? No, you know it's, and I've never made it with aviation gin, which <laughs> I probably should at some point. It is uh, gin, lemon juice, cream de violet, maraschino liqueur, and a touch of simple syrup. Yum. And I put a Luxardo maraschino cherry in there, just you know, for good measure. I want that. It's delicious. Um, here is mine. Sorry, the lighting is... Oh, it's very reddish-orangish. Yes. What the heck? I'll give you a hint that okay. it's not left in the cocktail, but there is a lemon peel expressed into... Ooh, is it a Sazerac? Oh, Ooh. damn it. He's going to kick my ass at this game. <laughs> it is a Sazerac. I wanted to go something nice. very heavy for yeah. corn corn. And I wanted to find some... Uh, Balcones blue corn whiskey, <laughs> but I couldn't. Texas doesn't have a straight line to Idaho for liquor distribution. It's here sometimes, but not very often. This is just a Sazerac, and holy shit, good job, Evil. I put <laughs> a couple teaspoons of simple syrup in it. It's got a few dashes of the Peychaud's bitters, one of the Angostura, and then just some rye whiskey. I did a Canadian rye. I There's this Canadian rye I'm really obsessed with right now. Uh, Alberta Premium. And that's the Sazerac. Expressed a little bit of lemon peel in it. That's it. Easy peasy. So that's what we're drinking tonight. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about corn corn. Yeah. We will be right back. are back let's get into corn's self-titled debut album corn 
for the first volume of David and Sven's 10 out of 10s. I'm going to go over the rules, and there's one rule, and that rule is for all of us to remember that this is not a corn dissection, because someday there will be a corn dissection. This is a one album that's gonna be dissection. You know, so try as, hard, that's gonna... try as little as you can to talk about any other mm-hmm. corn stuff besides this album. Obviously, we're going to have to touch on a bunch of random things, but let's do our best. Uh, I'm going to go into the basic facts, and then I'm, I'm going to kick it to you two. And please interrupt me uh, if you have anything good, because I'm keeping it extremely simple. Also, if anybody so, refers to any of the band members other than Jonathan, Fieldy, Monkey, and Head, I will be so confused because I never use their names. Well, I guess Jonathan Davis, but... Got it. Yeah! <laughs> Released in 94 by Epic Records. They were uh, approached by Epic Records. It was just more of a word of mouth. A lot of talk about their shows and how fucking crazy they were and how Jonathan Davis was pouring sweat in his shows, which obviously we're going to talk about. They they were just getting so much attention in Southern California that uh, it happened pretty fast. Even for Korn, it's a pretty dark album. Going back and really dissecting this, I watched one interview where John Davis is even talking about how dark of an album this is. Like he'd go back and listen and he'd be like, holy shit, this is really dark. Which for a band like Korn, that's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> and this was produced by Ross Robinson, who was new. Uh, I think this was the first album he ever produced. Uh, in Le- is, do you know if that's right, Sven? I, 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 th- uh, I am not 100% either, but I think you're right. It's not. Oh, shit. So what do you... So I believe the first album he produced was a Fear Factory demo. No. Sh- called Concrete. Wow. I know that because I'm a Fear Factory fan. It sounds nothing like Fear Factory. I don't want to get into him yet because I have a whole bunch to talk about Ross Robinson down the road. Good. So, but he actually produced Korn's... Uh, I guess demo called Niedermeyer's Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll talk about that when we get a little deeper into things. So he he'd done some stuff previously. I think that's really all I want to get into on this album. I really think it's all that we can get into at the beginning without people just starting to talk about their actual full thoughts on it. I will, so I want to start this whole thing. I'm going to go to you first, Evil. I want to lead it off mm-hmm. by you telling us when you first discovered this if this album or a song from this album was your discovery of the band corn and just share kind of a a brief synopsis of your thoughts on the album oh man i i I can't pinpoint the first time i heard a corn track i know for sure it was on whatever 100.3 was Mm -hmm. the you know, alternative metal station in the Boise, Idaho area was at that time. I know it was there and it was either blind or shoots and ladders. I can't tell you which one it was. I was thinking back to that time, there was not like an impact event. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just have always sort of been in the lexicon of metal music in my head. There was no like game changer for me. Like, Oh my God, this band changed everything. A lot of that came from me looking back in retrospect you started to touch on your story with it, Sven. Do you remember your introduction with Corn wasn't even Corn oh, yeah. Corn? No, no, yeah. It was... Introduction to the band, like I said, I, I didn't really enjoy it. I can't remember what 
track it was. It was I know it was Life is Peachy. Was like the Adidas album. or something like that? It might have been, or Assich or something like that. I don't know. It was off of Life is Peachy, and I just remember not not liking it at all. I do remember the moment I started li- loving it. I was in my friend Chuck's basement, and, of course, Blind comes on, and it's just, you know, the symbol intro, and I'm like, what is this? And he's like, ah, oh, it's Corn. I'm like, ah, oh, I fucking hate that band. He's like, no, 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 just, we're not changing it. Listen. Like, okay, whatever. And then Fieldy comes in with the dum, boom, boom, and then there's that huge, like, sub hit, just boom. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. Okay. It's not all weird, because I think the thing I didn't like about Korn was how the guitar sound the first time I heard it. So easing in with, like, rhythm section, like, drums, and then bass. And then by the time they got to the... Was this your introduction to Seven String? Other than, like, Steve Vai kind of stuff? or like No, I mean, like, Seven String used for metal. Or sludge. or outside of, like, lead, like, crazy... Yeah, like, for this kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that Korn uses it, especially Seven String detuned. Yeah. I mean, you're already so loose and wobbly with that. My intro to that was it. By the time Blind came in with the, the you know, when Jonathan comes with, are you ready? You know, the whole. Oh, yes. And then the band comes <laughs> in. And it, I was in love with it. Like, it took that long to go from, I wouldn't say hating it, but very much not wanting to listen to them to yeah. all of a sudden I was into it and I couldn't stop and I wanted more. I am lucky enough. I remember where I was positioned in the room I was in the first time I heard Corn, mm-hmm. which was Blind. Blind was the first yeah. song I ever heard. Ooh. I was at a birthday, you know, sleepover with a big group of, of dudes in, you know, in seventh grade or something like that. And the same thing for me, that comes on, I'm kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then that Are You Ready hits with those guitars. I'd never heard anything like it. There are certain bands we're going to talk about that I had loved before this that I think their sound kind of became what Korn was trying to do. But I had never heard anything like this. I don't really think that anybody has. And that's something that I don't, maybe we'll all have a, an argument about that or not, but that is one of the very few times that I can really remember just being knocked on my ass by a song with me ever since Mm. I already knew coming into this that Sven loves this album. I am not... Well, I sent it to you, right? Yes. Kind of cat out of the bag yeah. from the get-go. But with Evil, I think we had probably talked about this album at some point <laughs> down the line, years and years and years ago. But without giving away whether it's a Evil 10 out of 10 or something like that, is this a big album for you? Are you a big fan of this album? Very much, yeah, for a number of reasons. Infamous, that was an interesting word that you picked. Interesting is another word, and influential isn't there? Are three eyes of corn, corn right there is interesting, infamous, and influential. So for sure, it's a, you know, their first maybe four albums I was a huge fan of, and um, still am to this day. I don't. It's my musical taste has changed, but back then they were enormous enormous impact on me for sure actually you know my first thought on this and and i am gonna have both of you chime in more on this a because sven is so big on their producer talk and b because it sounds like evil has some very specific thoughts on this but i want to talk about ross robinson who i didn't look into this as much obviously because i really did think this was the first album he produced but this was the absolute 
perfect producer for this album. Mm-hmm. A couple things that I watched that I didn't realize were done on purpose. Things like where he would secretly leave shit recording at the end of daddy when like john davis is just screaming and crying yeah, mm-hmm. and and he's leaving the tape on to hear davis do all this and davis is in an interview saying like i had no idea he played it for us and i'm like dude what the fuck and it ends up being this completely significant thing or in the uh, clown the intro yes <laughs> And Sorry, am I jumping? I'm jumping ahead. No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk on this. So Clown was actually the next thing I was gonna talk about, where he leaves it open at the beginning where they're messing around and stuff. One of the things I love about that intro is it is insight into how much they have coordinated the songs beforehand and what John Davis's imagination vocally does. And what I mean by that is at the very beginning of the recording, you can hear one of the other guitarists or whatever, sing the actual melody, the in my body, but in the actual song, it's not a sung part. Mm. John Davis does this weird like whisper type of thing because he must have just realized that I don't, I'm not hitting that note. It's not going to sound as good. I want this weird eerie whisper instead which that little two second piece really speaks to the genius of him as a vocalist. Mm. That kind of like behind the scenes that you get, but it's not really behind the scenes. It's in the album. It's cut in. And I remember that used to be one of my favorite intros because of that. Everything you said too, it's just a cool way to kind of give these little peeps into their process. If you listen, I think it's in that intro to clown where one of the other band members talks about twist and you're like i want i wish you could lay that out down yeah. on tape you want to hear it you want to yeah. yeah you want to hear it when you hear it and then beginning of the next album you hear it and yeah and then you know why they want to hear it on tape so mm-hmm. I, that, that's yeah. always stood yeah. out to me jonathan's vocal style right like that it was further down the road when i started to really realize how genius he was as a vocalist he scats okay that's no other way yeah. to say it like he yep. scats yeah. in metal right. Like what other metal singer has the balls to scat? But then the way he does it, it isn't. It's not like jazz. It's that growly nonsense, like gibberishy. Yeah. It's more percussive than melodic. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And it's it's like emotional, like in a weird way. Like you could tell it's it's raw, just him, just bleeding. It's out like of the his metal mouth. version of speaking in tongues, but it's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it really it's is. A great it's, way of putting it. I, I think scatting is it's what it is it's it's fucking insane yeah and i do think because of that i know it's got to be who john davis was but that had to be a lot of ross robinson seeing that and saying you need to just like you need to have no fear coming into this because man for your first album to be doing this shit that john davis is doing on this you got to have fucking balls to put yourself out there Mm -hmm. like that balls i actually went back and listened to niedermeyer's mind their demo which he also worked on with them and if you take the two versions of Blind and listen to them back to back, you can tell. Mm. That first version that they laid down in the demo is interesting, but it's not what you would think of as corn. It sounded like heavier grunge, maybe some Faith No More, more like power rock sounding. I think he brought in the really staccato stop-start timing of things, which opened up the palette for jonathan to do what he does vocally yeah and i would say gave their music more space for really interesting stuff to sort of bubble up through i think the biggest 
two people that it gave space to make the right noises for John Davis. And then I can never remember which guitarist is the guitarist that does the more high pitched stuff. I think it's head. Yeah. He, that, I mean, that, that does the dinking around on the, on the higher parts of the fret. Like the crazy effects. Yeah. And like the bleeps and eerie, and the... the fucking just random parts that he plays mm-hmm. in these songs are another thing that really wasn't done before. Um, yeah. yeah. The real heavy lower stuff, yeah, that's done. But then you have this other guitarist being like, no, we need some horror film weird. <laughs> like theremin sounding stuff. Exactly. Head is, I think, a really unique band member. He's one of my favorites to think about. Mm-hmm. He's not my favorite band member, but he has a really interesting story. And I know that, like, I think he's even said it in, in a couple interviews. Like, he didn't do a lot of the writing. So I see how he kind of fits in with this, like, well, I'm just going to do these cool little things that don't mess with what Monkey and Fieldy have laid down. And then David's there just to write beats. He just layers these little effects and things that sit really nicely. Mm -hmm. The song that popped in my head as a really great example is a song that it's the it's a title that we can't say. Track six. Let's call it track six. Yes, we'll call it track six. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) It is a gay slur, and for anybody that just automatically decides they want to be offended about it, this song is about how mistreated John Davis was as a teenager in school, getting the shit beat out of him, being called this F word. Mm -hmm. The guitar parts that Head is playing, while John Davis is singing the weird, like, (laughs) it makes that song, It this weird, eerie thing that just blows up in the choruses it's perfect and that song actually is a really great example of how they do dynamics like the mm-hmm. you know every band has that you got your highs your lows and you kind of but not you know, like them first chorus verse a b a but yeah a lot of bands do it by just especially in the 90s and this was probably more like a grunge thing but like you go clean mm-hmm. then you go distortion then you go clean then you go distortion they didn't do that necessarily. It was just like... They go clean, they go distortion, and then John Davis is, loses his fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, or even then, it's not even like clean. It's like they go space yes. and then yes. they go distortion. Yep. And then they go back to like outer space again. I'm glad, Evil, that you mentioned Faith No More. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Faith No More is a favorite band of mine. I've always loved them. And I think that the unsung hero of Korn is Fieldy. The Mm -hmm. fucking bass that he brings into this makes these albums what they are. The only time that I had ever heard bass used like that at all before was Faith No More. Uh, I I mean, like, Helmet kind of did it a little bit, but Faith No More was the first one that brought real true... It's funk slap bass, but it's this weird, super heavy, feels like he's grabbing his strings and just yanking them as hard as he can. Right. That sound that Fieldy brought to this took it from this regular metal to this weird funk, almost hip hop Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of hip hop. I think Fieldy took it to another level, Mm -hmm. though, because like his strings were just so loose that sometimes you can't really hear a tone. It's percussion. It's almost like he, there was a second drummer. Yes. Sure. And that was Fieldy slapping, because you heard a lot of click between David's kick drums, the attack, and then Fieldy's attack of slapping. You had, like, polyrhythms, and, like, sometimes they were in unison, but other times it was, like, you couldn't tell. Is that a kick drum, or is that Fieldy slapping? Or going along with the guitar. Mm-hmm. So you had this 
chunk guitar, this jun 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 jun, and then you had this extra slap, this that just made it that much chunkier. Yeah, sonically, it did some really interesting things. Like you were saying earlier, the Faith No More that sound, but he also he's got like a touch of Chili Peppers Flea playing in there too. Yes, yep. This band is like a melting pot of sounds, totally, which is what makes them so interesting. And the bass probably is is the linchpin to tying all of that together for sure. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do. Plus, he just looks so cool doing mm-hmm. it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he absolutely. holds it almost vertical like an upright mm-hmm. bass. Yeah. Let's talk about what probably made these guys, what brought them over the edge as far as getting signed. And I think that that is John Davis's live performing. Yeah. Have both of you seen them live? Yes. No. Oh, Sven. My God. I have not. So tell me about where you saw them live evil and what it was like. Oh, man. I don't remember the venue, but I do know it was it was after he got the weird H.R. Giger designed oh, microphone the- <laughs> stand. <laughs> Mic stand. Yeah. Yeah. Got and- ship mask, the silver naked lady. Yeah. Yes. I, for me, that's like the next era of corn that I'm not as much of a Post fan of. issues is what I we'll think, call it. I, I think we're like on the same page here. Like, uh, I, I think, think all I three of us are. Journey. Yeah, probably. So I, I had a huge missed opportunity. I went to college in Caldwell, Idaho at college of Idaho. There is a sports venue called the O'Connor field house that used to be used for basketball games for the college. They played there in 1994 when I was in oh college there and I didn't go to that <laughs> show. <laughs> I know. It's like missing Nirvana played at the Crazy Horse yes, in downtown, downtown Boise. Bo- and, yeah. like, and I missed that too. So I'm like, <laughs> all right. I missed two shows that could have changed my life, but I, whatever. And they were like right across the street, essentially. Well, I think they went so hard during the corn corn and the, uh, I keep wanting to say shoots and ladders. Life is peachy, like their next one? <laughs> one after. Um, or are you talking follow about? Follow the leader. The, I even, the hopscotch. Follow, follow, follow the leader. Leash. Thank you. They were going so hard drugs and alcohol yeah. wise through those three albums that I'm sure that they had to stop or they were done. Are you sure we're not doing a corn dissection? <laughs> That's like, when can we do the corn dissection? Cause like, it's very hard. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I will say that in regards to, to follow the leader, the song on this album, helmet in the bush. Yes. The whole album is so corn corn. And then all of a sudden the very last song mm-hmm. helmet in the bush that's almost like a a look at what they were going to be for the next like seven years. That's oh man, you you're reading my mind. Get out of my brain. <laughs> but it is Except it's better. this weird industrial. It's almost like nine inch nailsy. Yeah. Yes. It's. I agree a hundred percent. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you did because it it definitely was a peek into like the band that they were going to be over the next two three albums or so. It sounds different than anything else on this particular album completely different what Sven was saying it's like a peek into that later stuff but kind of that raw unpolished version of it which is what makes this particular album actually what it is and so in some ways it's maybe superior to that later stuff I I absolutely think it's superior to the later stuff I do too yeah it it sticks out like a sore thumb on the album sort of even Mm -hmm. though it makes sense it's always been there that like synth electronic the stuff that they started doing later on it's like it's always shown up little bits and pieces like mm-hmm. going back to corn corn like mm-hmm. every album it has a little peak at it right and they buried it kind of closer to the end of the the album right like it's what like 
track 10 or something. Yeah. I'm just like gushing now. I'm going to start <laughs> gibberishing. I'm losing my ability to talk. Most of these 10 out of 10 dissections are going to be like that. Yeah. Do you guys think that this was the album that made everybody decide that we are going to add another string to our guitars and become a band? <laughs> so some of us couldn't just go and buy a seven string guitar right especially like i think at the time ibanez had like yeah. the market i don't know you probably could find some knockoffs but you had to go buy an ibanez mm-hmm. seven i think string. you're right and i didn't have that kind of cash as a teenager yeah they played steve Vai seven right. string gem guitars the universe so here's gem what i guitars. did to my six string yeah. cheapo stratocaster i went and i took the nut of the guitar and filed wider the low mm-hmm. E string slot so that I could fit a bass string. Oh. And then I just moved all the rest of the strings <laughs> oh, down. So Jesus. I dropped off the high E string, right? <laughs> uh, I actually rocked that guitar that way for at least two years with this crazy, <laughs> no one else could, someone would pick up my guitar and like hand it right back to me. Like, I don't, I don't know what this is. That's dedication. Um, But that's how much I love that that sound for a while i mean i kind of grew out of it i can't think of another band and i could very much be wrong write us that would have been as influential as far as the whole seven string guitar kick no for sure not i think they definitely put that on the map um at least in popular metal. Didn't Monkey Your Head even, and this might be why they apologized, but didn't one of them train Wes Borland as <laughs> far as how to play a seven string? I don't know. I don't know about that. And, and he actually... He's a, I, I think he's a good guitar he's player. He's a fucking like, awesome guitar player. Now, you say what you will about Limp Bizkit and their music, but he, as a guitar player... He actually might be more interesting than Monkey or oh, Head as hell yeah. a guitar player. So this was one of the things that always made me mad about Limp Bizkit is the vibe and the playing of Borland was so awesome. The weird costumes and the contact lenses. He was such a metal fan's metal guitarist. Had to go and ruin everything. And he was stuck with with fucking Fred Durst. (laughs) Talk about the biggest douche in the universe. For better or for worse, he's got Fred Durst. It's so hilarious because you watch a video like Roland. You've got Durst in his his khakis, his baggy khaki and his backwards hat. And you've got all the girls in there wife beaters <laughs> dancing and then you've got borland dressed like a monkey with fucking white contacts <laughs> like one of these things does not fit in this at all <laughs> i'll say this about seven strings i'm gonna draw a parallel between van halen and and my favorite metal band who is unearth and i'm gonna draw that line right through corn because unearth plays seven string guitars but in a very different way than Korn does. And so we went from Van Halen, who Roth left Van Halen. Vi was his guitar player. Vi sort of came up with that seven-string guitar. Korn played that, and maybe we can say popularized it. And then that brought Unearth into my life and into my heart. So thank you, Korn. And right along with that, this was (laughs) actually my first introduction to a five-string bass. Was it really? Yeah. It was. That surprises me. I think up until that point, every bass had four strings because I was really used to like upright basses and then like, yeah, an electric bass is just that, but shaped like a guitar with pickups on it. And so, yeah, four strings. I, I never thought you could. 
Well, I think that was part of the part of the I'm just going to call it brilliance is that five string basses before then were used by these amazing 80s jazz musicians and bands like Dixie Dregs and and people like this that wanted a higher string to play these unbelievable parts. People like Corn and I'm sure Corn's influences like I th- I feel like Helmet used the same more of more of drop tuning. Mm-hmm. But the whole thought of instead of adding a higher string to play those higher parts, let's get one lower so we can have these yeah. big beefy fucking notes. <laughs> How insane is it that then he drops that the five string bass is tuned drop A, so your lowest mm-hmm. note is now an A A zero or A is it an A one or A zero? It it's so freaking low, like there's yeah. almost no tension yeah. on it. <laughs> Right, like which is which is what leads to that cool slap sound that he has. We will get into this in awards and categories, but exactly what you're talking about is probably it really focuses in on his slap ability and what he can do with the strings doing that, which is yeah. all it's so close to not even being a note. But up until him, like most most metal bass players, just play the root note. Of whatever guitar players do they follow the guitar player right yeah traditionally not like across the board this is not a blanket statement there's awesome there's there's some awesome metal bass lines but i, I want to touch a little bit on the production Good. yeah i don't know how much of it was recorded outdoors but i know at least some of this was to capture the, the weird sonics in the album and if you listen to the bagpipes in the beginning of shoots and ladders you can hear birds there, they, it was being really? recorded outside. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. He's like apparently like walking towards the mics. And so it sort of fades in and you can hear like the ambient noises if you, if yeah. you listen. So go back and listen to that. And they may have even recorded more parts outside at the studio they were recording in. That's another thing. We haven't really talked about that much. Like Jonathan plays bagpipes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And he's known well, for yeah, it. Really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. how many other metal bands have some weird cultural instrument that's really specific to only that culture that they somehow managed to fit into? It fits so well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without I going just... super obscure, like some Scandinavian band, like Wardruna right. or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's going to be like some, yeah, yeah, there's like some Norwegian black metal that I'll have like some yeah. Hardanger <laughs> fiddle or something. Some of the songs made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I think very, very perfect purposefully, which I Mm -hmm. think might have been part of the brilliance of Ross Robinson. This isn't just dark. This is when you're watching a movie and suddenly some weird fucking thing is starting to happen with a pederast or something. Mm. This is like like to catch a predator or like that kind of creepy at some times. It's drug abuse. abuse It's physical Mm -hmm. abuse. It's bullying. He's never gone into it, but whatever the fuck his parents were doing to him, which must have been... Daddy, like, what is that track? 11, which is the longest damn song on the album. Yeah, because there's three minutes of him, like, hyperventilating and bawling and sobbing. I always do a final listen the day of. And mm-hmm. if I have the vinyl, which I do, I'll put the vinyl on. And even my daughter, she'll listen to anything and love it. 
And even with corn, she was, I was like, do you like this? Is this too heavy? And she's like, of course, who wouldn't like this? And she's head banging and shit. But then something like daddy comes mm-hmm. on and I'm like, I can't, you, you can't, yeah. I can't listen to this with my fucking kid in the room. No. This is insane. That's, <laughs> so that's super interesting. I haven't listened to this entire album. I've listened to songs from the album over the years. Wait, what? No, no, no. (laughs) I haven't listened to the entire album for a very long time. So, like, listening to Daddy today compared to when it was, like, more fresh, it is way more uncomfortable to listen to that as a 44-year-old man with kids in the house than it was as teenager 20 something not really thinking about the gravity of what was being laid down to tape back then yes, yes. thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that perspective into because yeah the discomfort for me is more listening to it now than when i was yes. a teenager listening to it even thinking back to when i was younger because this is very much a i'm not going to generalize but this is very much a younger male nobody gets me sort of emotional album the outcast and the the bitter little teenage emotions me listening to it now and thinking that when i was a kid i was you know listening to this and being angry and like yeah this guy gets me now i listen to i'm like man this guy was going through so much more shit than than any of us were (laughs) yeah When it comes to writing, I love it when people are personal and they put themselves into it. But then I think there's a certain line that for me gets uncomfortable. And Jonathan definitely, it's so personal. Some of the things he talks about, damn, I want to give the guy a hug. But I'm also Mm -hmm. like, I don't feel comfortable knowing this much about you having not known you. Like, I feel kind of like a voyeur, like a weird. Yeah, it's like you're reading somebody's uh, diary or something like that. So it's like too personal and some. What we're talking about here is part of what makes this particular album so brilliant and also what makes everyone who tried to copy it so awful. Yes. Genuine cathartic event that happened that was put to tape and put out as a album, as a product. And then it became popular and then, you know, copycats come in. How do you copy that emotion? How do you copy that experience? It's impossible. Yeah. You have a guy like Jonathan Davis that's singing these lyrics about his extreme abuse as a child. So much so, so intense that he is literally going into gibberish. Mm -hmm. And then fucking stained turns that into it's been a while. (laughs) Oh. And pair with it what's going on musically. So you've got his side of things, which is this really vulnerable self-therapeutic event. And then you have this, I don't want to say they didn't do anything new because that's not true, but they took pieces from stuff that already existed and and recombined them in a way that has never been heard before. Exactly. And it's very, you know, testosterone fueled, muscular sounding, and also the weird spaced out horror movie sounds. And that's a very like aggressive thing. And then you have this vulnerable side coming out of Jonathan Davis juxtaposed against that. Man, I don't even want to be corn trying to make another album after this, because how do you grow from there? Exactly. It's almost like the anti-Slayer. Anti-Pantera, I guess would probably be a better one, where you have Pantera's just this fucking manly, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And corn was this just as aggressive jab to the people that were saying, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Boy, you're exactly right. In 1994, and this is a point I, I kind of alluded to earlier, 
there was some amazing metal releases in 1994. Mm-hmm. Pantera, uh, Far Beyond Driven, Machine Head, Burn My Eyes, their debut. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, that's Prong, out. Cleansing, one of my all-time favorite metal albums. Corrosion of Conformity released one of my favorite albums of all time, Deliverance. And that's oh just a God. few. And none of them broke the ground that this album did right. in terms of... I mean, th- those are all like, I don't want to say like traditional metal, and they're all fantastic albums. Corrosion of Conformity's yes. album is Deliverance's, that might be top five for me. But this album did yeah. some things that none of those could have. Can you think of any other band or album that came before this that you could really say this is definitively no. a new metal album? No. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you can trace things. Exactly. There's little parts to Anthrax yeah. and Public Enemy. Yeah. yeah, you can trace but things to helmet, helmet. You can trace faith them no to more. even Faith No More a little bit, but in terms of like yeah. launching the ship, this com, com, this yeah. was it. This was this, and was maybe it. even this launching corn into Follow the Leader, which Follow mm-hmm. the Leader was what every other band copied for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we have even touched on it in the past that Corn, while responsible for new metal, is not responsible for the shit that was <laughs> new metal. Like, okay. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So good job, Corn, and I'm sorry that people took your idea and just went full. <laughs> Fred Durst. That's the thoughts that we have on Corn Corn. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we will do awards and categories, which there's there's going to be plenty to talk about there, too. We will be right back. Let's do some awards and categories. Is this the first awards and categories that you've done with us, Evil? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's <laughs> exciting. We're going to start it with Amazon reviews. And yes! here's the thing. It was not until I read this review that I realized how much of a defender of this album I am. <laughs> we are going to read this review, which honestly, I think is probably a point by point argument towards this album. And we're basically going to argue with this guy. Ooh, I like it. Because you know what? If you come to me and you say, look, I just don't like the sound or this, it's not my thing or this is kind of fucking annoying. I get that. Yeah. I totally do. That's fine. But if you start talking about how this is phony and copying this and that and this, we're going to have a fucking problem. This is an Amazon review by Shotgun Method who gave it one out of five stars. It's titled, Looks Like It's My Turn. This was reviewed in 2005. And here's the start. (laughs) To level a rant against this poor excuse for a band, especially since their guitarist head has recently departed and the new metal trend that dominated the late 90s is now going the way of the dodo, which solid opening paragraph, I guess. I don't really understand talking shit about the later years of the band. That's like leaving a review for the Blue Weezer album and saying Weezer started to suck really (laughs) bad. Um, It amazes me to this day that so many people, even those with otherwise respectable tastes in music, 
such as ourselves, <laughs> of course, are so willing to defend Korn's turgid debut as if it were somehow groundbreaking or original. Maybe if you listen to the likes of Limp Biscuit and Creed every day for the past two years and picked this up just last week, you'd have the excuse of thinking this is somewhat fresh. The rest of us know better. Corn was merely a dumbed-down take on the sounds of Helmet and Faith No More, with hints of Biohazard, Sepulturas, uh, which that's a good pull oh, by uh, him. Yeah, Sepultura Out- was a good reference. Mm-hmm. Later output, most notably Roots, which was released around the same time mm-hmm. uh, and features a Jonathan Davis cameo. This wouldn't be so bad in of itself, since the above bands all are more or less rule. However, Korn also sees fit to wallow in Davis' contrived take on teenage angst, resulting in an album that's as fun as having your genitals hit repeatedly with a nail bat. (laughs) There's more to this, but let's stop there. There's a lot to unpack. The first thing that he says that fucking bugs me is maybe if you listen to the likes of Limp Bizkit and Creed for the last two years and you think this is groundbreaking, which you can not like the genre, but that doesn't make something less groundbreaking. Right. Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if sometimes people don't really know what the they're talking about this is just like i'm gonna sound smart for people that have never listened to this because they're shopping for it and probably don't know it maybe i don't know well okay i'm gonna i'm gonna attack him here thank you he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about that's my kind of guy right there that's a david sentence if i've ever heard it he like in his argument he cites sepultura who with their album following corn's self-titled uses the same producer that corn used in ross robinson holy fuck are you serious heavily influenced by corn corn oh my god so fuck that guy he's an idiot i am so glad you're a regular that is fucking hilarious i didn't realize that it was the same producer in a later album and he's talking shit about the other founded (laughs) this is fried gold right here i would say this guy is blind and at the time, it was kind of popular to hate on Corn because this was like uh, sort of like metalcore era, which I love. I love Unearth's mm-hmm. a metalcore band, so yeah. maybe he was just following the leaders <laughs> of the time. You know, I mean, maybe his life wasn't that peachy. He's just a clown. I think the guy had some issues. Holy shit! <laughs> oh, evil. That might be the the best thirty seconds that's ever happened on this podcast. And then the corn sees fit to wallow in Davis' contrived take on teenage danks, resulting in an album that's as fun as having your genitals hit repeatedly with a nail bat. Okay, what is eighty percent of any rock lyrics about? Even if it was teenage angst, which this is not. This is serious fucking problems in a dude's head coming right. out. If you don't have teenage angst, you don't have you don't have the Smiths, you don't have Alanis Morissette, you don't have. I mean, there are we could name stuff off for seventeen episodes. You don't have the grunge genre, right? Like an entire have, genre yeah, exactly. doesn't exist. <laughs> I feel like this guy is being critical of two thousand five Jonathan yeah. Davis, not of nineteen ninety four Jonathan yeah. Davis. Let's keep going. Yeah. Davis vocals inevitably waver from pitiful screaming. Are you fucking kidding me? Pitiful. Pitiful screaming? Pitiful. If John Davis's screaming is pitiful, then everybody just needs to fucking retire now. Because what the fuck? I kind of want to know what he likes then. What (laughs) what is... What does he like? Exactly. What, what exactly. Is, 
pitiful screaming to scared little girl whining and flat attempts at rapping. Rap? Rapping? What? What? Yeah. When did he rap in this? Did he listen to the album? Moreover, both guitarist Monkey and Head can't even replicate the taut, brutal riffing of one Paige Hamilton. Are you guys familiar with Paige Hamilton? Yeah, Helmet. Yes. Of course. I can see where Monkey and Head would have been influenced by Paige Hamilton. What I can't see is where that comparison could be to copying. No. When I listen to Helmet, and I'm a big... I love Helmet. Helmet's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. I do not hear corn guitar no. at all. No. Uh, preferring instead to simply bash out the same three detuned Ibanez chords over and over, thus ushering in the boring, talentless, no-solo style of 90s new metal. Ah, I'm getting a glimpse into like what he feels... Mm-hmm makes music good right you gotta no shred solo style okay this guy is a satriani okay. fan is what i'm guessing <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that no but well if you're if you're leaving shit like this there's something wrong with it mm-hmm. yeah so this reminds me of something like I'm, i love rock music i love metal music that's my stuff there is this problem endemic particularly in the metal community where it's like death to all the false metal like if it's not some certain brand or type of metal or authentic then it's garbage and i'm like that's mm, that's such a myopic view it's like wine snobbery yeah yeah if you like the wine you like the fucking wine exactly that's a (laughs) wine snobbery that's exactly what it is (laughs) Um, despite all this this album might have been worth two stars if it were not for the completely inane 15-minute closer daddy, whether Davis is really a victim of child molestation or not, the angst in this song comes off as so ludicrously forced and hollow that I seriously couldn't stop laughing while mid-listen, especially at that quote-unquote crying bit. Oh, please. Holy shit. I hope he never has any friends that have like, or like a serious need or... for help because <laughs> he will just like laugh at them and... like. Fuck. Was there ever a second that you listened to that where you're like, oh, this guy's just milking it for fucking... It's faking no, it. No, we already talked about how uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. it was no. because of how personal... Like, I felt like I was crawled inside of somebody's personal life. Yeah. I, this is my favorite part. There are bands who make depression worth listening to, which that line alone, <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to get that tattooed on me. Joy Division, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Swans, Hell, even The Cure on occasion. Oh my good God! (laughs) Hold on, I'm going to do some quick research here. Shotgun Method. I'm seeing that that is an online alias for David Crosby. (laughs) (laughs) Meh. Corn, on the other hand, is pure bunk, another use-once-and-destroy tool in the marketing frenzy of MTV and mainstream radio. Which, once again, this album was not fucking mainstream. Not even remotely. And if you think this is any way brutal or dark, go pick up something by Godflesh or Meshuggah and see the light. You're welcome. This is a totally different... You're totally you're talking different. apples and oranges here, though. Exactly. I mean, are you all seething? I, I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm supposed to be the nice one. <laughs> I'm struggling. 
And this is one of the reasons I wanted to read this review and have us argue it, because I do think that there are fans of this podcast that are going to listen to this that are probably going to be like, why the fuck are you doing anything about corn? Yeah. Which but, that's on. Un- I know people that hate corn. Which, that's understandable. But you are never going to convince me that this album was not, at the very least, original influential and different Mm -hmm. this guy just completely misses the plot that's our amazon review way to start off awards (laughs) and this whole segment (sighs) you guys need a shot (laughs) influences and influences we've touched on a lot of them we touched on faith no more we touched on and that whole anthax public enemy thing which i really think led to the whole kind of the funk bass with the really beefy guitars and the more percussive vocals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. helmet evil talked about red hot chili peppers for sure do you have anything different evil oh yeah so we talked about faith no more but there's another mike Patton project that oh my Korn god in multiple interviews yes. have referenced and it's mr bungle yes they call it the mr bungle oh, chord and it's that, right. that dissonant tritone thing that they do all yep. over the place. Oh, fuck. Uh-huh. So for sure that. Now, Morbid Angel. There's a song by Morbid Angel. Uh. I think it's Angel of Disease. And if you listen to the main riff of Ball Tongue, there's a riff uh-huh. in the middle of that Morbid Angel song that sounds almost exactly like it. So they're pulling from like death metal. They're pulling from weird avant-garde stuff. Fine Wine or Skunk Beer Award. This is actually kind of a complex and difficult question, especially for this album and what it led to. Unequivocally, new metal is the most hated of all genres overall. Overall? I think so. Or amongst like metal. I mean, name me another genre that is hated as much besides maybe disco disco does that make got the life the worst song ever because that's like <laughs> new metal disco <laughs> ben what do you think do you think this is fine wine or skunk beer i'm gonna say fine wine i don't think that they went about this to create a new genre i stop at the album and not what comes after so i was listening today with the kids no i did you too know, my daughter was getting tracks. down to this <laughs> this is Bourbon barrel aged old English malt <laughs> liquor. <laughs> I mean, sonically, it's so interesting, and nothing sounded like it before or really after. Mm-hmm. Never mind the Bullocks Award. And a reminder that this isn't just, is this their best album? It's, is this by far their best album? All started out, I really, really like a couple other of their albums, but I really do think that this is the Never Mind the Bullocks Award for this album. Evil, what do you think about the Never Mind the Bullocks Award? I 100% agree with you. Even if they progress to the peak of their abilities as musicians, they could never break the ground that they did yeah. with this album. As imperfect as it is in ways, lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, and they capture something here. It's like a time capsule of those four eyes in, what were they, influential, infamous interesting and the other eye whichever that one is (laughs) impact impact yeah jesus good memory what about you sven what do you think it's my favorite of their entire catalog is it your favorite by far by far okay by by far 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 okay that's kind of what i thought out of 
Yeah. John Paul Jones Award. Do you have anybody evil? I don't. I think. I want someone to say Ray Lazier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, okay. Objectively, I think he's a better drummer than Silveria. <laughs> but I don't think you have this sound. That snare drum yeah. is so integral to, and the way he just beats the hell out of his kit yeah. is so yeah. integral to the sound. I don't think you can replace Anybody, including Ross Robinson, I think this was like some weird magical conjoining of humans that came up with something that none of them are ever going to be capable of replicating again. That's what I said. For I, this album. Yes. Maybe down the road. Maybe down the road. But this this album, no. That's what I said. And this is kind of sad. Isn't David like at this point crazy young? He's way younger than the rest of the band members, right? I don't like, know. The man. John Popper Award. Evil, what do you uh, got? Do you have anything for the John Popper Award? I don't know if this is a hook, but it opens the album. Are you ready? Come on. Nobody was. Yeah. <laughs> Until they... You said this earlier. That's This is one of the best album openers ever. Mm-hmm. It sets up what you're about to go through better than almost anything I've ever heard. So that's not my answer. But it's probably the right answer. <laughs> Mine is the beginning of Divine, which mm. is the one that it's the and then it just goes into the their intros in general. Yeah, you've got the song we can't say where it comes in with seriously i could go on and on jump about... into a completely different band briefly to make this point but there's something that oh my god his name is totally escaping me guitar player for tool jones uh adam yes. adam jones he he worked in the movie industry he actually did special effects on terminator 2 before he was in tool a weird fact what so for real that's for real that's a yeah he talked about songwriting compared to writing a script for a movie so you need an opening shot First act, second act, third act. Corn yeah. does this. They have intros. They have these outros. Yeah. They're like telling stories with their music that is way more interesting than standard verse, chorus, verse. <laughs> <laughs> Tagline. <laughs> do you have a John Popper award, Sven? I do. It's from Clown. And it's either mm. the scream at me again if you like, throw your hate me with all your might, or really yeah, like the I'm, outro, I'm... the taggy bridge thing where he's like hit me clown because i'm not from your to now hit me clown he repeats that over oh, and yeah. over and then goes yeah. into the clown you ain't wait shit. there's actually words to that yeah hit me clown because you're I not that was just struck a chord with me personally Whoa. in second grade that literally happened to me as an immigrant kid in emmett idaho in a town of three thousand people farm town i got pinned down by two kids and the shit beat out of me because i wasn't like them yeah this song like i was like holy shit you wrote a song hey shotgun method what do you have to say about that (laughs) can you (laughs) right eddie van halen award body's ready for Uh, this this is the first eddie van halen award that evil gets to do (sighs) so we have to go down to Evil and do <laughs> Evil's, Evil's first Eddie Van Halen Award. Well, so one of you is going to steal mine. I know you are. I'm going to go completely <laughs> off the rails because my best riff isn't even a guitar part. It's Which in I like to do track six where Jonathan does this vocal okay. breakdown. I tried to find the lyrics for it. Some like lyric list just said he scats here and others were something like, 
but he has my gun, but he has my body, mighty anyway. That whole line is yes. That is brilliant. There's like this weird percussive. It's almost like he's possessed. That is yes. one of my favorite things on this album. Sven, what do you got? Everything Fieldy plays. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm man! I'm giving it to Fieldy yeah. on bass just because I'm a bass player now, right? And thinking back to when I first heard this, I Jesus Christ, the guy does stuff that. I'm never going to do. I don't think anyone else can do. And it's yep. not because people, you can't physically do it. It's just, it doesn't fit. I'm really glad that Fieldy has gotten touched on so much in this episode because he fucking deserves it. Absolutely. Mine, and I can't believe that I'm the only one that did it. There is a very specific instrument at the beginning of Shoots and Ladders that... I almost went there. And then when you were like, one of you is going to steal mine, I'm like, oh, okay. It became this weird phenomenon of, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the bagpipes at the beginning of Shoots and Ladders. Oh, it sets the tone so... I mean, oh my God. Surfer Rosa Award. This is one of the more complex awards because I always view Surfer Rosa Award as... Is it, it doesn't mean that the end of the album's better. It just means that it's a little more true to the band. I kind of think it's the opposite. The beginning of this album is where they're really discovering who they are at that moment. And then the end of the album was when they're maybe looking towards other yeah. things. What do you think, Sven? I wouldn't say that it's a front-heavy album, although I, I get where you're going. The entire thing, to me, it's not heavy on start or end it's it's pretty consistent for me yeah uh what about you evil if you do the line right in between track six and seven i would say the second half is more experimental but doesn't lose yeah the direction of what is going on by any stretch you know you're right i'm changing it this is kind of totally a surfer rosa award <laughs> We even talked about it with Helmet. The second yeah. part is kind of when they're starting to look towards their next fucking five years. Evil wins that. Time of Your Life Award. Right back around to you, Evil. What's the worst track on this album? I don't know if it's fair to call any of these tracks the worst. I know, but just you have to do it. Purely on like what I was saying before, there are, there are tracks on the second side that I haven't listened to as much. I'm going to go with Lies, just because those are the ones I've listened to the least and know the least. Uh, Sven, this is interesting to me. I want to hear what your least favorite track on this is. I almost wanted to say Lies, but I think Divine is my least favorite. And it's not because it's a wow, bad really? song. It's just the one that I don't like to listen to the most. It makes me the most weirded out about. I don't know why. I think there's something about like the, the line, like, your suffering because of me is divine. Wait a minute. Are you making your decision of not liking a song based on the lyrics? Oh, based on lyrics? It took corn. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it took corn. Mine is a little more the evil route. It's just one of the tracks I haven't listened to all that much. And there are parts of it I like, but it doesn't do it for me. And that's fake. It's just not my favorite. Yeah. Three best songs on the album. Sven, start at your third and work your way up, for Christ's sake. I like your specific instructions, because I've fucked this up before. Okay, Clown is my third. Blind is my second. Helmet in the Bush is my first. 
I like that. I'll go next. We'll we'll save evil for last. My three favorite songs on this album. Number three is Blind. It should probably be number one, but it's not. It is on the album. <laughs> if somebody were to ask me what the most important corn song of all time was, I'd say Blind. That's not the question. It's what my favorite mm-hmm. song on this album is. Uh, number two is the song of which title we cannot say. I think we decided to call it track six. It's frustrating. I feel we should be able to say it because it's not like we're calling anybody anything. The whole point of this song is that the... Pe- the revolt against the title. Exactly. It is the disgust of the people that use this word to yeah. talk down to people. But anyway, that's my number two. My number one, which I guess we'll just have to do it again for a corn dissection, but it is by far my favorite corn song is Ball Tongue. Mm. You've got the weird scat stuff. You've got the guitar and the chorus. Mm-hmm. It's actually this real basic scale of it's like a i don't know what it is i think it's like a down to e back up to d so i love the guitar part of the chorus the dun dun and then at the end he stops singing and he just lets the guitar go and the snare turns off and he's doing the bang of the non-snared snare yes and you've got john davis screaming yeah that's to me that's corn that's it's visceral yes exactly and there's like that little segue in the middle it's like this lo-fi hip-hop thing yep that is so genius yes oh yeah the song ball tongue has probably been one way or another on a mix in my life for since 94 evil what are your three best songs on the album i've got a, a top three and i have a caveat and i'll start with the caveat the caveat's ball tongue i don't know what to do with that song because <laughs> i think it's the heaviest song on the album which for me would resonate and make it my favorite automatically but there's also it sets it apart and there's like the weird morbid angel tie-in thing yeah. I'm not going to say they, they aped that riff Which, from Morbid And I Angel. really appreciate Maybe. you just fucking ruining my favorite corn song of all time <laughs> during this episode. That's not at all going to just homage. shatter my I mean, entire <laughs> fucking musical outlook. But it, it's a genius song. I think it's phenomenal. But my top three. Three is Shoots and Ladders. I don't remember what the first song from corn is I heard. I know it had to have been either shoots and ladders or blind, but I'm gonna put shoots and ladders at three. I, I love everything about that song and the breakdown at the end, the knickknack, paddywhack. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's so silly, but at the same time, it's like there's something about the specific nursery rhyme lyrics he picked outlines sort of the how messed up nursery rhymes are underlying stories of, of nursery rhymes i mean so that's my number three number two blind that's the corniest corn song that ever corned <laughs> i mean that is that's corn if i if you want to know are you ready that's that's corn how do you condense the band down to the best thing that they are and it's probably that song yeah. my number one is the unmentionable track number six 
there's something about that mm-hmm. song that is I don't know. It stands above the rest for me. It is definitely something special. And that percussive lyrics that he does, oh my God. Yeah. It epitomizes what Korn was doing. Yeah. Like every everything mm-hmm. about him. Good answer. Uh, who won the album, Sven? There's no like superhero in the band. Jonathan Davis gets my vote because of how vulnerable he allows himself to get and how yeah. I feel like that's got to be hard to just pour yourself out onto a track he stopped giving a shit about who was listening and didn't care about who the audience was and didn't care about who was in the sound booth yes almost like he went away into his own world which for anybody that has never recorded lyrics even done a fucking promo which we do Mm. yeah that is so fucking hard to do it really is even me sven and i are working on some musical stuff And just being up in a room in my own house by myself trying to sing, I can feel myself holding myself back. Mm -hmm. It's this extremely vulnerable thing for John Davis to be not only singing shit like that in general, but the the shit that he's singing about, fuck. I don't think Jonathan on his own, maybe, maybe, but I don't know that on this album he would have done that without some some sort of support and, and and like someone that created an environment and a space where he could do that which i think he i don't know if he's to thank for it but i know that john davis a lot of what he said went into this album was meth so maybe <laughs> that's all the producer had to do was like here take this and, and go then for sing it. and i promise you're gonna come up with some gold evil i will say ross robinson won this album Here's a list of people he worked with after this album. He worked with Korn multiple times. He worked mm-hmm. with Sepultura. He worked with Limp Bizkit. That's, that could be argued as going in the L category, but whatever. Uh, Soulfly, Soulfly, Machine Head, Slipknot, At the Drive-In. Jesus. The Cure, Norma Jean. Wow. This launched yeah. his career. Yeah, it was huge for Korn. They went on and did a whole bunch of other stuff, but this really launched his career Almost as much as it launched theirs, if not more. More. I wouldn't have picked him if I didn't listen to the Niedermeyer's Mind demo because I really feel like there's something that he brought to the table that allowed them to do what they did. Mm -hmm. And that was like this mutually beneficial coupling of producer and this young band with tons of potential. In our Taylor Swift episode, we asked... (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, who won this album, and she said, you know, like every 15 to 25 year old female, broken hearted, bleep blop, bleep blop. And that's who won this album. Every fucking 12 to 22 year old male that didn't get what the point was. We all won this album. Even the ones that didn't have the same problems that John Davis did, which was, you know, probably fucking third percentile they were one of the first ones that made it okay to be not tough anti-pantera yeah the opposite of the people that were the the tough kids rating this album i want to start with sven because i have been waiting for this sven is not given a 10 out of 10 yet or a uh whatever out of whatever yet and i know his ratings are arbitrary I just want to see what the fuck he's going to do with his rating. Sven, rate this album. Yeah, it's a 416 out of 417. 
Oh, so close. It's that close to to me perfect. I don't know that you'll ever get a perfect rank out of me. Like, that's kind of what I'm That's that's I'm, kind of the thing. Like I, so that's what that. I'm saying. Like really. Yeah. Evil. Rank this album. I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 7 strings. Nice. <laughs> strings on like yeah. It's a brilliant album. It is limited by the youth that it embodies. Mm, that is so well put and that is exactly why i gave it a nine out of ten there's something about this album that keeps it almost in stasis Mm -hmm. it's in the past extremely close to a 10 Uh, it sounds like all three of us we will defend this album fiercely Mm -hmm. that's our volume one dave and sven's 10 out of 10s which none of us gave a 10 out of 10 but we (laughs) definitely did gush over this album for a few hours evil i love having you on i'm so glad that you're a regular always at stan mega ton versecoursefirst.com at versecoursefirstpod we're very active on that itunes spotify youtube all the things there are some regulars that i'm i'm excited to hear about this because this is one of those albums that it's you never know you never know it could be controversial it really could be exactly we might have been fawning over something that a bunch of people are going to be like you guys are (laughs) fucking morons Come back next week, another good old-fashioned review. We've got Kendrick Lamar. Damn. And I get the Avet Brothers. I'm very excited to not do pot bangers. (laughs) Evil, thank you. Sven, thank you. We will see you next week. Peace out. Wanna stay right by your side.